Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each week, he'll unpack stories, stories that you won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. This episode is brought to you by the Get Your Store. For all of your Get Your Rocks Off merch, including t-shirts, face masks, and yep, Hotel Tropicana coffee mugs, head over to getyourstore.com. That's it. That's it. Oh, okay. yeah. Thanks. And you goodbye. And you were straight. You said, "Shall I go straight in?" I thought at least we'd have like two seconds before you did. No, that. no. We're 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 live. Okay. We're live before you're. Don't say that. No. <laughs> so today, uh, we are going to. This is going. This is such a big subject that we're going to return to this over many episodes in the future. Uh, but basically, you know, ladies of rock, or as I like to call them, the gorgeous ladies of metal, gloms. Right. And where did you get that? From? I, I nicked that from Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which was uh, it's a fa- it's a fantastic Netflix TV series based on a true story. Um, lady wrestlers in the seventies, eighties in America, and they build themselves as the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Yeah. I get it, and you've just nicked it. Yes. And giving it a little twist. Yes. And and you know when you do this and you know it's really not panning out and that people are going to criticise you so for So you're an old sexist old man. Well, that's what they would say. And you'd say, what's wrong with being sexy? I, I, I'll be like, well, it's a thin line between sexy... Clever and stupid. ...and sexist. Yeah. Like sexy yeah. and... It's a thin yeah, line. It is. You know, you, you, you don't even know you've crossed the line. <laughs> it's getting worse. You're making it worse, not better. <laughs> <laughs> so, John. Yes. Let's begin. Today we're going to focus on the 80s, okay? The 1980s. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to think. Because <laughs> when you've lived for over 200 years yeah. like me, you do have to think. Um, now, let me begin the discussion by yes. throwing the ball firmly in your oh, court. Uh, ladies in rock. Any Women good? Can they, can they play? Of course they can play. What a ridiculous thing to say. But there was a time. Anne Wilson. She'd be my first pick. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, and, and her sister. Her sister, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. yeah. Anne Wilson, one of the, I, I've said this before on this podcast, to me, one of, disregarding sex entirely, one of the great rock vocalists of all time, without a doubt. Yeah, Amazing singer. Apparently a great drinker as well. I don't know about that. Thunder told me when they opened for Heart back in like 1990 or something, they did a few shows with Heart, Wembley Arena, all this kind of thing in the UK. When they say with Heart, you mean they were supporting. They were opening for Heart. That's what all support bands say, don't they? They say, I did a show (laughs) with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, they were at the top of the bill. And we were eighth on the bill. We were actually on a different day. (laughs) No, no, we did, we we uh, we shared a Monsters of Rock bill with yeah, Guns. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. were eighty six, yeah. and they were uh, eighty eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously, when I say can they, I, I'm 
clearly being I, sarcastic. I, knew, I know you were. I know you were. Uh, but yes, I mean, they, they can, can play. Yeah. And, you well, know, you and for that, girls... But, but you're right. Play. I mean, I guess what's at the nub of this conversation is that the 1980s, very different time. And, it, and you know, it was that kind of sexist thing of, oh, you know, women can't play as well as men they can't rock as hard as you would say oh. back in the, and so you had bands uh yeah i'm thinking particularly uh british bands girl school rock goddess fantastic. great bands really good bands but were constantly fighting that notion mm. that they wouldn't be quite as good they wouldn't or, you know, they had, or and, they're, and they're great you know i think they're or they'd be damned with faint pranes along the lines yeah. of they're really good for, for girls. girls yeah or they had to go down the route of they had to be beautiful. As I, mean, I know guys had to do it as well. It's the rock business, it's show business, you have to look good. But they would have to overtly sell the sex side of it rather than the playing side, which would then lead them further down the road. Oh, well, they're not very good, they have to do this because they can't do that. Uh, and I think, so I think it was nonsense. And yeah. the 80s, I think, in particular, uh, was, a, was a, weird, very, a, a very acute moment because yeah. MTV comes along in 82... And uh, they start with all these, you know, it's Def Leppard and Flock of Seagulls yeah. and all these British acts that have been making pretty good videos. But the Americans cotton on real, real quick. And so suddenly your Motley crew and all these people are making videos. And at that, I was, I was um, talking to this guy from MTV some years ago and he was saying at that moment in, in New York, MTV, where it was based in the 80s, he said, suddenly, we, we could tell when it went from the early Def Leppard and Flock of Seagulls and David Bowie videos to the Motley Crue. He said, because the tits got bigger. He said, yeah. all the videos had to have these women and girls in them with enormous breasts, yeah. very yeah. short skirts, suddenly completely sexualized. Yeah. In a way, the music which was supposed, particularly in the 60s and 70s, was supposed to stand for freedom, uh, liberty, uh, permi uh, permissive, in the, not sexually, but in the sense of, you know, you can be anything. Yeah. Janis Joplin, yeah. well, you know, yeah. was, was a fantastic off, Casting off those roles that actually then became reinforced in the, in 80s, the 1980s. With, with, yeah. with, with glossy magazines like Kerrang. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we used to we, we used to carry a feature every week called Lady, Lady Killers, Killers yeah. which was just basically a photo of a very uh, attractive young lady dressed... In heavy metal garb, yeah, which was yeah. you know two degrees of separation from bondage, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh no, that that's very true. And that you're, yeah, that point about the videos is is you know you're right, and it's very true. And that is that kind of recast those roles in heavy metal as you know the guys do the music, the girls are there to look good. That's what it's for, you know. That's what they're for. That's their role. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it was when you look back now, it was tremendously damaging. Not, I mean, we, we're to, here to talk about the musicians' day. If you're trying to make a career in that as a female player, it's twice as difficult before you even pick up an instrument. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, and that's a strange dichotomy. Is is just as it seems to become two dimensional the attitudes towards women in rock. Because we would do the Lady Killers page and we would fanar, fanar. It was kind of a yeah, joke because yeah. some of them weren't very attractive. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of like we we got away with it because it wasn't page three. Yeah, well, no, that's true. That's and, true. And, and, they were and there were a lot of readers that would send in photos, do you remember? And we yeah, would run those. there were. 
There were. And it was ridiculous. I mean, but that was the age that was living. It was different times. I mean, completely different times. Things you wouldn't, wouldn't consider. But it's weird when you think... And that, uh, this is a name I think is quite often excluded from these conversations that we should throw in at the very start because she was on a very early cover of Kerrang, I think, and that's Pat Benatar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, who was a huge star in America at the very start of the 1980s, just before that MTV period you're talking about. I mean, Pat had had hits before then, um, although probably her biggest hit, Love is a Battlefield, had the really famous video where she was walking up the subway steps you know but there was a fierce you know full-on brilliant rock vocalist great singer yeah, really good singer who didn't actually and and i i read her book reasonably recently for something i was writing and you know she went out of her way and fought many battles not to sell herself on sex she had to go a little bit down that route because again you know saying where do you draw the line you know vince neal dressed up david lee roth dressed up yeah all, all the i mean david coverdale yeah yeah i mean i mean um uh male musicians and rock yeah. stars dress up yeah. we want them to but don't we? she's not going to turn up at a photo session and you know essentially get her kit off in the way the record company or whoever at that time might want her to so you know i think she i was like god she was overlooked so for someone who had so many hit records and do you think that was because she was a woman? I think she's just kind of written out of history a little bit. I think it's a little bit the style of music she played, which was that early AOR. Yeah. You know, it was kind of heavier than Blondie, who were probably big at the time as well. Um, but, you know, not not kind of heavy metal metal. Well, Blond- um, and, it, and it went quite quickly, that style of music. You know. Blondie were huge, and they did obviously have that kind of sex kitten front woman. But she wrote songs. Yeah. Uh, it was a real band that could play. And the uh, I think there was something about Debbie Harry that was slightly ironic. You know, she, she the platinum blonde hair. Yeah. I mean, compared to the way female artists ex- have been expected in the last 20 years to dress, where it's pretty much soft porn most of the time. Yeah. Debbie Harry was was a million oh, you, miles. Yeah, from you'd that. look at it now and go, yeah, no, then she's not overtly doing that. Yeah. Nevertheless, there was you could kind of she was doing this kind of post punk Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. It was a commentary yeah, in she, itself. She could sort of quite cleverly had her cake and eat it in that respect. But by the time you get to, um... well, I, th- I, th- I think I would say the classic example, and if you took a parallel career path between two bands that were doing well at the start of the 80s, Pat Benatar and Hart. Mm. And Hart very much came along as almost, I mean, no, it'd be ridiculous to say they were, yeah, pre-video. pre-video, not folk rock, but they certainly had an acoustic side to them, yeah. as well as songs like Barracuda. They had songs like Dog and Butterfly. Uh, and so, also quite soulful. They had that big horn section yeah, for a yeah, while as well yeah. in the late 70s. They were quite different. But I suppose where Benatar refused to compromise... Hart came back in the middle of the 80s, completely revamped as, you know, over-the-top hair, you know, the yeah. costumes, the power ballads, and, and reinvented, and were massive for a period. Yeah. It was interesting to read the other day, Anne Wilson saying she quite regrets that now. Oh, she really? Quite, Why? I mean, great, great songs from that period, but regrets just going wholesale down that image. Because in many ways... And this has happened to other bands as well. You become trapped by it. You become trapped by your biggest period. And it then makes the music you make after that 
less influential. And in Hart's case, that's quite interesting because they're a Seattle band. Obviously, the next big thing after they've gone down this whole yep. generic heavy metal route yep. is the Seattle sound. And actually, they're embraced by a lot of those musicians yep. from that era. You know, you know Alice in Chains, um, trying to think, oh, Soundgarden, all of those people, they revered Hart because they were the one band who'd kind of come out of Seattle and really made it before the whole Seattle thing happened. And in some ways, kind of um, a future echo of that Seattle uh, amb- uh, message, which was, uh, we're not we're not that LA, New York, MTV yeah. rock. Yeah. We have women, we have blokes that don't dress up like, yeah. I don't know, uh, what are they, Conan the Barbarian yeah. or well, a robot that, it, or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was that weird thing of it. It's, it's when it crosses the line into rock, and I know we're getting quite serious here, I don't think we need to, but when it crosses the line into rock, because you think of bands like Blondie or... Fleet, you know, Fleetwood Mac would be a good example where, you know, it was viewed all the time as, I mean, I know it was insane, you know, psychosexual goings on within the band, but it was viewed all the time as a band and a creative force that was part female, part male. Yeah. And they were, they were providing this energy of their own and making these amazing records that, you know, in many ways have kind of lived on way beyond the I, era that I we're talking I think also about. with Christine McVie, she was is still i'm sure a badass yeah you know I mean, yeah. you didn't mess but a with great Chris. writer you know wrote fantastic yeah. right and had a pedigree yeah you know, she you didn't first hear of christine as she was flashing around with three semi-naked backing dancers on mtv no, no that's right this was a woman whose roots went back to the 60s yeah. chicken shack and yeah. could write could sing yeah. but even but stevie see, nicks stevie nicks uh, came in that mid seventies era where women were wearing dresses to their ankles, yeah, and completely yeah. laced up, scar. It was all very floaty and scar. And, th- and this is where Hart began, of course. <clears> that's <throat> what Hart. If you look at the early Hart, that's what they looked like. So you wouldn't see so, Fleetwood Mac in those days and go, oh, that's no, the no, Olympics, that's right. You but know. I think, and I think this you is think what, she was I think, beautiful, I think, but yeah, that wasn't the selling that wasn't point. The, wasn't the sell- and I think this is what Anne Wilson was driving at when she was making those comments about the mid-80s, was when they crossed that line over into rock and bought that kind of whole rock thing. And it was this point of... The minute women came into rock and into hard rock, mm. the relationship changed completely. They were not taken seriously in the way that Fleetwood Mac were taken seriously or that Hart had previously been taken seriously. And so that's the kind of battleground, I suppose, that people were... Pat Benatar's career fades out completely mm. because she doesn't buy this thing of, you know, you've got to put a mini skirt on, you've got to make sexy videos. You, She doesn't want to do it. And as a result, you know, it, she fades away from history a little bit. And over here, um, we were, we were, you know... In the 80s, uh, what we were just talking about, just before MTV, comes girls' school. Yeah. And they, to me, were always like uh, the female motorhead. Yeah. I don't mean to, 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 to make it so two-dimensional, but the first time I saw them, they were opening for Motorhead. This is in about 1980. And that first album was fantastic, Emergency and all those tracks. Um, and I just thought... Uh, I'm not watching this group because they're pretty or sexy. Yeah. I'm watching this group because they're a fucking great rock and roll band. 
And isn't it, is, I mean, yeah, isn't it great that we've got women that can do this without it being I'm a woman, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, it was, it was. But I think, again, that kind of ended up trapping them a bit, didn't it? In that, uh, again, you realise, you know, when you look back on it, you realise, like, how distorted the, 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 the male gaze, I suppose you would call it, was. Because they had to buy, you know, they, they didn't go down the sexy routes. They had to buy into the kind of almost the ladette route. Yeah. Where they, oh, we're hard drinking. We're yes. We're on the road in the back of a van. We're just like the lads. Yeah. You know. Um, no, that's true. They, they, that that was your that was your gateway in those days yeah. to credibility. Yeah. But I remember talking to Kim McAuliffe, you know, the, the the leader of the band, and this is just a couple of years ago, and I was saying to her because I knew them back then and blah blah, yeah. but you know what it's like as older people looking back, John. You'll relate yeah. to that. Um. I said, so in those days, did you did you have boy groupies? You know, because because yeah. every male band, even the ugliest male musicians, are always neck deep in uh, beautiful women. And um, I said, did you have? Were you neck deep in beautiful men? And she was laughing, going, <laughs> yeah. "Not really. No, it wasn't mm. really our thing." She said, sometimes, you know, you'd get some crazy guy trying to uh, get in the dressing room or clamber through a window. Um, I mean, I think she was being, uh, you know, I don't think I was getting 100% of the full story because they were young, they were human, yeah. I'm sure they had tons of fun. But, it, it, yeah, different different vibe. Um, they weren't coming to rape and pillage. They were literally coming to play some great music and have a great night. And, yeah. And they delivered. Yeah, they did. They did. I thought they never really... I mean, to me, they never... I suppose they never wrote that song, did they? They never, you know... If you equate them with Motorhead, you know, Motorhead, go along and go along, and they're great, you know, and then all of a sudden they write Ace of Spades, yeah. and that's the thing that just, you know, just hit that sweet spot. You only need to do it once, you know. You only need to, you know, Ace of Spades carried Motorhead along for the rest of their careers, really, till Lemmy died. He's still out there playing Ace of Spades. Absolutely. You know? uh, I, I, think I think they never quite had that, never quite had that moment. No, and I think also uh, uh, the 80s, same as with Heart, although with Heart it was successful, there was this uh, onus on saying, look, it's not the 70s anymore. We have MTV, CDs are coming. Um, I remember Kim saying to me the the big change on their career path was when Def Leppard did Pyromania. Right. Because it was not just an enormous hit... But it was a game changer in terms of how you could present a rock band. Um, you know, pop fans liked them, girls liked them. It wasn't like Iron Maiden or Sabbath, where it's mainly a male preserve. Um, and they want they went, ah, this is our key. And they tried to make their own version of Pyromania. Right. And it it it, it didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't I, work. But then you'd have to Whereas say. Whereas you could say if they'd stayed on the kind of yeah, Mo- maybe they would. Maybe they pub. would. But then, are you going to get a record company who are going to give a female band at that time the same money they would give Def Leppard, the same leeway in the studio they would give Def Leppard? I mean, Def Leppard had Mutt Lang, yeah. who just made yeah. Foreigner Four, yeah. um, whatever else it was. He just made ACDC. AC, back in Black, he just made. I mean, it's like a, a record company going to pay Mutt Lang to do girls' school? Mm. I don't know. You know. There was also, I think, this idea that you had to have a certain kind of producer to work with a female artist. So Mike Chapman, 
who in the 70s with his business partner, Nicky Chin, yeah. uh, wrote and produced uh, a whole slew of hits for Sweet, yes. Mud, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Chinny Su- Chap. Chinny Chap, yeah. Susie Quattro, Smokey, yeah. tons of people. Suddenly Mike becomes, uh, uh, goes to America, becomes a producer, writer, first with Blondie, then with Pat Benatar, and then after that, oh, there was a wonderful Australian group with a, a female singer that he worked with that, that, oh. that, yeah, that did well in Australia and maybe a little bit in America. Yeah. But suddenly it's like if you're a female artist, you have to go to Mike Chapman. Yeah. And so they were kind of, it, there was this kind of attitude that if you're a, it was always, you're a all-female group. I mean, I, I must have typed those words in the 80s, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and they'd have gone, okay, we've got a... I remember in the early 90s, a, a, a friend of ours who was a record executive by then telling me, because he had some female artists and he wanted Dave Stewart from Eurythmics to produce them because Dave Stewart's really good with female artists. Yeah. And you're going, what does that even yeah, mean? Yeah. What does although, that mean? Although one of the really interesting things that I was just having a quick look at there to refresh my memory because I, I saw you on your phone. I couldn't remember exactly. Why the, does everybody I talk well, to always look you, at their phone? We, t- we were talking about Mutt Lang because I was thinking, well, Mutt did the trick. Yeah, he did Def Leppard, but then did the trick with Shania Twain, where it was, which was essentially Def a, a Def Leppard record, but done uh, uh, tweaked, yeah, uh, 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 tweaked very slightly for a different market, you know. But before that, before that, he did Romeo's Daughter, if you remember. Oh yeah, who were a great band. They had a they had one hit. Didn't yeah, they? Lee Matty was the singer. Yeah, so the they dark were so hair. they were yes, yeah, so they were a female fronted rock band, um, and female and, front. Which we used Again, to type all the time. Say, female a fronted, fronted. No, you didn't. You were female fronted rock band. Romeo's or, or Vixen. Daughter. Remember yeah. Vixen. But they were they were all female. All right? female yeah, band yeah, yeah. Vixen. But um, I, um, what it was uh, the, the connection with Romeo's daughter was they were managed by Olga Lang, who was Mutt's wife, wife at the time and a great singer. Yeah. So Mutt then heard Romeo's daughter and did produce. I think it didn't produce the whole album, but certainly produced produced some of the first album for Romeo. And they did sound Leopard-like. Well, they sounded like Mutt Lang, as all bands (laughs) Mutt Lang producers do. But, um, yeah, so that was really interesting that they they at one point, you know, um, did get the treatment of getting Mutt Lang, but then they're being managed by his his missus, who, leading me on to my favourite subject... (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm sure I remember. Yes. Oh, yes. Marino, brother oh, of Oh, Lisa remind Dominique. me, who was he? Was he, he was like a guitarist minor in, sort of... A... in Lisa Dominique's band. Um, he knew Olga Langer somehow. He always used to be going on about Olga Langer. I don't know why. What was it about the good look, <laughs> the, with the Mediterranean <laughs> good looks Guitar, Marino had? Oh, God, and yeah. That, that, uh, that intrigued linked him. Olga Lang. Not to the point where Mutt produced Lisa Dominique. Oh, well, here's another question That would have then. been fantastic. That <laughs> I would have paid good money to be in the studio for. Oh, uh, yes. Um, well, let me ask you, John, because I think you are probably the world's leading, leading Lisa Dominique fan and expert. expert. I like um, to think so. I can't remember any of her songs, but I do remember well, Lisa. Well, no, there you go. See, that, that, you've just hit on the point is I don't remember a single song Lisa ever sang. But I totally jealous, remember like, Lisa. Like jealous heart or jealous. No, don't, don't even bother, mate. No one knows. No, even Lisa doesn't remember those songs. So I, my question to you is: 
I am trying to remember those songs now. Yeah, well, good luck with that. We'll, yeah. we'll come back to that in about four podcasts. Rock and roll time. lady, rock and roll gypsy, <laughs> gypsy rider. That was it. Gypsy, gypsy rider. Yeah. A gypsy rider. I'm going to be a gypsy rider. What is, like what is a gypsy rider? No is that someone knows. that no rides gypsies? It's like one of, those, it's one of those songs. You know, we used to get... Marino like, looked like a gypsy, you, didn't he? Yeah, if you get... Um, <laughs> Yeah, random words roughly associated with heavy metal. Black, you know, rainbow, um, devil, um, you know, gypsy, uh, rider, lightning, rider, yeah, and pull them out of a hat. That's how you get a song like Gypsy Rider. It doesn't mean anything. I thought it came from real life experience and emotion of the heart. Who knows? Who knows? Crying in the rain. But you see, Lisa's probably. Again, I don't like have massively serious conversations because a lot of this was fun. But it was you. one of those ones where, you know, uh, she completely tried to go down the the, the selling sex route. Right. You know, the music, yeah, it wasn't great. Let's be all joking aside. The music wasn't great. So that's what she had and that's what she had to run with, you know. Mm, that's what um, was available to but, her. Yeah, yeah. So she made, a, made a, a, an effort with that. And that's kind of, I don't know, what's the male equivalent? Someone like um, Thor or someone like... You know, <laughs> Thor? Do you remember Thor? Thor? The guy, you remember Thor? Of course I remember Thor. He used to uh, blow up a water Hot bottle water on bottle, stage yeah. until <laughs> and it his exploded. And he never, wore, he never had a shirt on, did he? He was like he a, was blonde, a blonde, blonde, the mighty Hulk. blonde Hulk. If you say Thor, I say, you picture I just this say Thor. You, you, you picture this god of thunder. With yeah, my, of course he didn't have a shirt on. He was a yeah. god of yeah, thunder. Exactly. So I mean, it was a rough parallel. You know, someone their looks were more important than their music. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, but but this is the so brush. Is this, this is the brush that so many female artists would get painted with. Yeah. Still do, by the way. Um, but these days, it seems to be a, a kind of t- darker packed with the devil in the sense that um it's all about objectification yeah. for certain female artists yeah. not all of them but i think we i actually think we live in a golden age of female artists right now i think we've got some magnificently talented female artists not least for me is billy eilish um who doesn't trade on her sexuality yeah. at all um nevertheless you know you look at the videos of the last 20 years say in the 21st century and dude, I don't know what I'm looking at. The, the, these are these are more hardcore than the soft porn movies. You yeah, get yeah. I mean, I suppose if you you know the the um, Cardi B thing, though, just you know. So yeah, but that is again. What's that, I, John? I think that well, it's interesting because I think that is completely turning it the other way around. Right. And saying right, we right. can do anything. Yeah. We can do anything to, yeah. to that we like. Yeah. Um, which is. I don't think that's the sort of thing you could have done in the 1980s and been regarded in the same way. Mm. Um, and, and so that's kind of more problematic back then than it would be now. But you're right. It, it's, you know, um, I was just thinking then, you know, jumping around from uh, Lisa Dominique to Lita Ford, who was probably, uh, you know, had come out of a, a band, The Runaways, which yeah. had notoriety because of their sex yeah because they were female and because they were teenagers yeah and they, yeah you know it was a you know 
thrown together by a... Kim Fowley. You used to call them a Svengali. <laughs> now you call them a dirty old bastard, you know. Kim Fowley literally used to walk down, in the 70s, used to walk down Sunset Boulevard and just literally pull girls into the car yeah. and say, I'm going to make you a star. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you're a young girl in West Hollywood in any time, yeah, especially in the 70s, there. that's yeah. the reason you're walking down yeah. the street. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they, but, but they end up producing Joan Jett. Yeah. And Lita Ford, both of whom became uh, enormously successful in the 80s. Joan with I Love Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, other tracks. All the others. Uh, that, some of which were huge hits as well. Uh, but Lita Ford um, uh, had two huge hits. The first one, Kiss Me Deadly, which I love. You know, do you know what the words are? I love it. it goes, um, the opening words are... Um, I went to a party last Saturday night. Oh, yeah. I didn't get laid. I got in a fight. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. And other than Janis Joplin, I can't, at that point, I couldn't think of any other female artist that talk about that would sing about not getting laid. I didn't get mm. laid, but I got in a fight. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Lisa, yeah. Lisa's fucking hot. And then an even bigger hit was Close My Eyes Forever with Ozzy. Yeah. Because Sharon was managing Lita at the time, so she contrived the whole thing. But it was a great track, huge hit in America, biggest hit single Ozzy had ever had, and same for Lita. And, and, and I, I, uh, I think you did some work with Lita as well, didn't you, John? Yeah, or, or was yeah. that me? No. No, there was that famous picture Ray Palmer took uh, of, that, of, that, yeah. of Lisa we went, on a horse. We went horse riding at Lisa Ford's house. Well, I was house. there. I was there. I, that was me interviewing her. Or was that you? No, that was me. Oh, sorry. Okay. God, for God's sake, man. You surely <laughs> know the difference between me and you. No, no, because I, I, I went horse riding with her too one oh, did you? With something else, yeah. <laughs> she had a place in the valley, right out in the valley, and, and in the, it backed onto the hills and the mountains and the horses were she kept at her neighbour's place this is when she was married to Chris Holmes it's all Mustangs and yeah whatever they were Chris Holmes we had to go on the horse <laughs> I've never been on a horse did you go on the horse yeah the you went thing. on the horse yeah it was mess. and Chris what? Holmes is going yeah 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 so we, hang on so, hang on hang on hang on set the scene here. so there's okay. there's Lita so, Ford I was in I was in Los Angeles staying in my very nice hotel <laughs> Not wanting to be disturbed. The Losers Hill. Yeah, the Losers Hill. I was hanging out. And a car arrives, you know. And it was like uh, back then, you know, in America, like here you get limos everywhere now. But back then in the 1980s. Do we? Well, where well, you like, live in rock, millionaire well, rock star you belt. You I mean, like well, you're not kids, on a quad bike, Kids, you're on if a they're limo. going on their, you know, their, their oh, end that, of term yeah. party yeah, or you. whatever. Yeah, yeah you, get a limo. Gotcha. you can get a limo. Yeah. Back in the 1980s in England, try getting a limo. Mm. There were probably two in the country. You know, the Queen has got one of them. And I'd been in both of them. You, you've been, you were in with Rob Halford. That's why. That's, that's who you were in the limo. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was my he too moment. Yeah, yeah it was because he hated you. And the, yeah. But anyway, anyway, back so, to the so there's Lisa so, Ford. But in America, you Chris could, Holmes and a horse. In America, you could get a limo back in the day. So this limo turns up for me and Ray Palmer. And it was like uh, it was like getting on a plane, you know. It was you get in and the driver would go, "Well, today we're uh, <laughs> driving out to the valley. We'll be travelling at uh, fifty-five miles an hour, and uh, you know." So it was like that. Drive out from West Hollywood through the hills, you know, to get into the to get to the valley. 
out, out, out we go. Out, out, further and further out. Get to this house. And it wasn't an ostentatious place at all. It was Lita's place. She was married to Chris Holmes, but Chris Holmes... Chris was, we should remind him, was, was the, the guitarist, guitarist in Wasp. Yeah, right. who, uh, who, put it this way, didn't have a pot to piss in, I would say, judging by the fact he shacked up at Lita's and freeloading... I think Blackie had all the money. Yeah, freeloading madly, you know. Um, but, I mean, he was okay. I mean, he was just a big, gormless bloke you know I mean, yeah, but back to Lisa was, he, and the horse but, but, Chris, but I'm trying to get across to you like Chris Holmes is he's as he was on stage bro, like massive blonde guy big strong starts going on the first thing he starts going on is out here like wherever we were San Fernando out here I, I he's, he starts going about how he knows the sheriff I'm thinking why are you and he goes yeah yeah he goes uh if I was to shoot someone out on the street, I could just drag them onto my lawn and tell the sheriff they were a trespasser. Yeah. See, that's, that's how it should be everywhere. Don't you think yeah. that's how it so, should be? So that's where we are. That's where we are, okay? okay? We're out there. Okay. But where is Lita? And well, Lita's in the kitchen, right? <laughs> Lita's in the kitchen. Get this, making lemonade. You imagine Lita Ford doing that, making lemonade. Was she dressed as a French maid? No, she wasn't sexist. No. no, no that's only what you said to me <laughs> no, before we came no, she on. Wasn't. Just... She wasn't, but Chris Holmes was inordinately proud. I might have said this on a previous episode. He was inordinately proud of, proud of the fact that they had a giant circular waterbed. Oh, I yeah. I mean, a waterbed. Yeah. This yeah. is, the, you know, yeah. the waterbed had its day by then, but they've got one. And his side of the water, well, it didn't have a side because it was circular. His bit of the water vapor, it's got a stack of porno mags that are almost as high as the side of the... Dude, yeah, you're, a, you're a rock star, so do do? it's the 80s, so you've got a yeah, giant waterbed. And so a of stack course, of porno Of course, mags. and Lita Ford and in Lita the bed Ford. with you. Yeah, I was just thinking, if you've got Lita Ford, living do you really dream. need the porno mags? The man is living Lisa. the dream. But, so anyway, we have the we have the lemonade and it's all very nice. And then, what? yeah... Now comes the question, what do you do on a, on a summer's afternoon in you, Los Angeles? You've had out your waterbed, you've had, had your porno We've seen bag. the waterbed, we've seen you've the porno bag. Lita dressed we've as seen, a French maid we, making we've lemonade. We've had the lemonade, we've drunk the lemonade and drunk sat outside. Lemonade. Raimondo's getting warmed up with his cameras, getting <laughs> his lenses is, on. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine. Uh, what do we do? Well, do you want to go horse riding? Because Chris wants to fire his gun. <laughs> See, this so is worse than the time hell. Richie Blackmore wanted me to go yeah, playing football. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no. So, well, at least I didn't have to get on a horse so and think, fire what, a gun. What was interesting, and if I'd had half a brain at the time, I yeah, would have realised. one now. Yeah, or have one now. But <laughs> was there was actually a great story here because Lita Ford was almost like, I'm, and I, she must have been doing it deliberately, trying to show another side to this, you know, one-dimensional '80s rock chick. Actually, she was she was quite homely. I mean, and she'd had this reputation, as you say, in the Runaways and in uh, as a solo artist, as very much this wild woman. And I, I wonder how much that was her being sold as that, because if that's what she was being sold as, why would she so go against type? to invite you out to her house and then take you horse riding. Right. You know, it was intriguing, but I didn't pick up on it at the time. I should have picked up on that. In and fact, so, you're, in, you're right. In The Runaways, she was the kind of validating force in terms of rock because it was still the days of, can they actually play their yeah. girls, blah, blah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, was Lita could play better than Chris Holmes? Yeah, that's for no, sure. Lita can play. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she was rocking even in the Runaways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was this, the original singer of the Runaways? The blonde girl. Um, um, I don't know Cherry much about Curry. Oh, Cherry. I was just, yeah, cher- yes, it was Cherry Curry, yeah. So it was kind of like she was very, she, she used to come on stage in a bodice and stockings and suspenders mm. and wonder why no one took her seriously, you know. But then Joan would be there in her doing her sort of punky type stuff. But the one who kind of validate, validated it to the rock, the white male rock mm. audience at the time was Lita. Lita, yeah. Because she'd stand there looking like Slash, you know, just completely yeah. like legs apart. Yeah. Bashing out the. Well, I have to, you know, I have to say, considering we're doing a, a piece for Kerrang in the mid '80s, she was just not, you know, she'd taken us out to a house and she was just not doing that. Mm. She was just like jeans and a t-shirt, just no artifice at all. And the horse riding was because she loved it was her that loved the horses. I mean, Holmes sort of kind of liked it. Did he shoot he, his gun? Oh, he shot his fucking gun. It was this thing. <laughs> it was this thing. It was like it was like a sawn-off shotgun. Of that's what it, it that's was. what it looked like, a, like a sawn-off shotgun. And he fires it. And because I mean, behind a house, it did just peter out into the hills yeah, and yeah. off into the mountains. Yeah. So there's no one out there. I right. mean, you are pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And it's America. So, I mean, you can fire guns wherever you like. They're insane. <laughs> so, it's the law. It's the law. You need yeah. to fire your yeah. gun at least yeah. once a day. Yeah. So Holmes is like, gets this gun out and he fires it. And honestly, like... Um, half a mile away, <laughs> this puff of dust comes up on the side of the mountain. That's how fucking far the bullet went, you know, like that. Far. So he gives it to me. You're lucky he didn't shoot you yeah, and yeah. drag you onto, onto the, the lawn. property, yeah. onto the property. He, yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, if this gun had hit, you wouldn't have been much of you left, you know. It was like, so he gives it to me. He goes, go on, go on. And, you know, I'm like, oh, do I really want to do this? So get hold of the gun and shoot it. But what I didn't know, because I don't know anything about guns, obviously, because you know, I'm from England. You don't... You, um, shoot it and the recoil, recoil, bang, it nearly took my shoulder off. I mean, it really fucking hurt. It was like, bang, and he's laughing and the gun goes... I'm thinking, this is just insane. Just get me on a... get Put me on a horse. I don't care. Even put me on a horse. Just get me away from this fucking gun. So onto the horses we go. You right? got on a horse. Oh, I got so on a horse. You've shot was, a gun. Right, there's all these horses. You've shot, yeah, shot a gun, and now, and now, now getting, you're on, now a horse. Getting on a horse. But you've gone to interview Lita, Lita Ford. Lita Ford, and I've, I can't even remember if I'd interviewed her by this point or not. This is the trouble but, with women in Lita, rock. They but, will yeah, make you shoot guns yeah, and ride horses. But Lita was a Lita was rider. a really good gypsy rider. Lita was a good gypsy rider. She was all over this. I heard, yeah. And Holmes was was. And they put me on this horse and, like, Ray's laughing and doing photos and all the rest of it. They put me on this horse and Chris Holmes is just sort of leading it along. But it was massive. I mean, the horse was fucking huge. (laughs) And you're kind of swaying along on the top of it. And it won't do because it senses that I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So he's kind of pulling and he goes... Dig your heels in it, you know. So I kind of just tapped. Were, were you wearing spurs? I wasn't. Had, had I, he lent I, I you wasn't, some spurs? I wasn't right, but he's wearing cowboy boots. So he and he's on his horse in front, like pulling my horse along by the reins. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine what this fucking circus looks like at this point? Did the horse have a name? I can't. Because what I'm what I'm well, sensing is here that is that you they were, should have been playing that. Song, that you, that yeah. you were going through the, the desert, desert on, on a horse yeah, with yeah. no name. 
being led and by he, Chris and, yeah, Holmes. And he goes, no, like this. And he's got cowboy boots on. And he just, like, puts his legs out either side of his horse and goes smack. And, like, you met Chris Holmes, a big, yeah, strong yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, yeah. like, smacking he, like this, like this. Bang, bang, bang into the side of the sword. What you realise is they're such big animals that, yeah, they, if I'm just, like, tapping the sword, it can't <laughs> come, feel come it. Come on, yeah. horsey. It does, it's horsey, can't horsey. even feel It's like a fly landing on it, you know. So anyway, so... Well, hang on, so was Lita on a horse? Lita, I told you, was a tremendous, really good horsewoman. And she was, like, well, off, you know, riding the bloody thing around the mountains or whatever. And loop back around, and then Ray does the famous photo that appears. Well, this on the is cover the famous Karen. photo because yeah. when the issue came out, it was a picture of Lita sitting on the horse. No, it? no, she's beside the That's horse. It. She's, she's <laughs> holding the horse. But what you see on the cover of Kerrang is a horse, <laughs> okay. a huge horse. horse, and next to just a this tiny, kind of slim yeah. blonde figure, well, just the head of Lita Ford in the bottom yeah. corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New cover of Kerrang. A horse. A horse. Yeah, with Lita. And I think, it, you know who, who it fell upon? Because Jeff was on holiday that week, Jeff Barton. And Neil Jeffries did it. And it fell upon, because he was the deputy editor. So all the opprobrium of the horse picture falls on poor old Neil. It's his fault. But he hasn't got anything to choose from, because all Ray's done is pictures of the frigging horse. You yes. Know? Uh, but uh, uh, speaking of Ray, that leads us to another aspect of... The different experience it definitely was for women. I'm sure now, of course, we everything is different for women. We understand that now more than we did then. But way back then, um, you know, Ray Palmer was the guy that always photographed the women. Yeah, and that's because what Ray had an amazing way with with. With women, with, with, well, with everyone really, but with women in particular, women loved Ray. They did, but he was also he had that. I mean, he could have, for me, he could have been taking pictures for the son of a bevy of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Let me give you a great example. Okay, very first time I ever met Ray, the second story I ever did for Kerrang was on one of the greatest female artists of all time. Kate, Kate Bush. Bush, what a fantastic thing to do. I mean, because she'd just been voted in the Reader's Poll of Kerrang! for 1983. She'd been voted top female vocalist. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Kate had the same kind of audience that Pink Floyd had or Peter Gabriel or... Oh, very much so. ...the police or yeah. people like that. Especially certainly with those early albums up until about The Dreaming, probably. You yeah, know, and also Kick she Inside, looked, Never Forever, Lionheart were very rocky, you know, piano, bit of acoustic guitar, bit of electric guitar. Because, yeah. because um, Kate and I are the same age. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that was the era she grew up in where you, you could like anything. You, yeah. you would like Led yeah. Zeppelin, but you'd also like Pink Floyd yeah. or Bob Dylan or something, Elton John. But um, so I get sent to interview her. And it, this is early 84, and this is the difference. Can you imagine this now? Uh, I met this photographer called Ray Palmer, who would be taking the pictures, yeah. and we literally drove to Kate's house in South London and... Yeah. Uh, it's Mick and Ray, come <laughs> yeah. to see Kate. Yeah, come yeah. on in, you know. Yeah. In fact, I think she answered the door. Yeah. And um, we go into her kind of chill-out room while she goes off to make tea, Um because, you know, she was the woman's, obviously. <laughs> she goes to make tea, good host. 
And I go on the floor, like we did in those days, I've just got a stack of records on the floor next to the record player, right, and I'm just yeah. flicking through. Yeah. And that would tell you a lot about the person. Yeah, yeah. And it was like flicking through my own record collection. I didn't know we were the same age at that moment. Yeah. I'm going, this is weird. This is kind of like my record collection. Yeah. But anyway, we did a, like a, it, was, it wasn't like you've got 30 minutes. It was like two or three hours. Yeah. We were talking about smoking joints. She was telling me how she liked to get a bit of hash and shove it on a safety pin. She goes, cool. we call it pinning. <laughs> I'm like, really? Show me, yeah. you know. Oh, no, you know. And, um, uh, and there's no furniture because this is the room she likes to dance in and stuff like that. There's one big cushion and I'm on it. Yeah, of course <laughs> She's are. sitting yeah. on the floor. Yeah. You're and, like um, a little little elf yourself there. There Kate's, I am. Kate's little elf in the middle of the room. Well, we're about the same height. Ray's going around with his... Well, now, here's what Ray did, and I didn't even realise until he was telling me about it afterwards. Um, so I do the interview, blah, 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 and then it's t- Ray's turn to take the pictures. And I remember him doing this clearly, but I didn't understand what he was doing until he told me afterwards. Um, we left and he goes, he go, and she wasn't dressed up. She wasn't dressed for a photo shoot, literally jeans hmm. and a jumper, you know. And um, he goes, did you, did you see what I did? I was like, no, <laughs> I'm paying any attention. He said, oh, no, I do this with all the women I photograph. He said, I ask her to lean forward and I ask her to push her shoulders together so that I can get her face. He said, but when a woman leans forward and she squeezes her shoulders together, he goes, her breasts protrude. (laughs) He said, and that's the picture I was going for. And I'm like, genius. I never knew that. But although Kate, beautiful, sexy, she'd done that um, video, what was the one? Oh, Babushka. I just didn't think of her that way. Um, And talking to her, you didn't think of her that way because... She's just really intelligent and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I get, fun. I get, yeah, yeah. Um, but Ray, and Ray's kind of ticket to ride in those days was to take these more kind of sexualized pictures at a time when um, it wasn't the norm. You know, these days you go and do a photo shoot with, I don't know who, Taylor Swift or someone, and there's going to be... Yeah, it was a lot more direct, as you you say. You're not just turning up at someone's house now and getting them to, Mm. you know, do... I mean, as you say, it's unthinkable now. If you had an artist of, you know, even in her early years of Kate Bush's stature, that she wouldn't wouldn't have, you know, two PRs, her own lighting, her own makeup, her own, you know, before she was let anywhere near a photographer. Yeah, especially a couple of chances like me and Ray in those days. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, who the hell... Like Kerrang and Kate, you know, I, well, I remember it caused a bit of a stir at the time, didn't it? Probably Kate in a, Kerrang. A, a, a little bit, but we kept it going and I ended up reviewing Hounds of Love, which yeah. was the next album. Well, I mean, the thing is... And we, I gave it an absolutely well, you glowing I mean, review. She's one of, the, one of the few people I would say is probably a genuine genius. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the few artists of, but of that era. Very beautiful, a wonderful dancer, had studied under Lindsay Kemp, so she knew how to mm. move, uh, when I say move her body, I don't mean like a No, bird. no, no, you I mean, mean, I mean, no, you mean uh, to project what exactly. she was doing. Exactly, yeah. Um, so you could get distracted by that, but you never mm. did because what her her art was so oh, do you, I mean, If fore. you think about, yeah, she wrote The Man with the Child in His Eyes mm. when she was 14. I know. You think, yeah, how can you do that when That's you're 14? It is, yeah. And then, you know, then you get to the point where 
you know, she's making Hounds of Love, which mm. is just a masterpiece, you know, a masterpiece. And, and, and to side, the other two day. Is, side two is like a yeah. concept prog album. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah. And it Only is, better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's just absolute genius. So like. let's contrast Kate uh, with another female artist from the late 80s, the great cat well let me, all right well let me just go with the ray thing a bit longer because i think that's interesting what you were saying about ray palmer because you wonder how much these things and ray was kind of like my spirit guide in those early days because he you know he i think the reason he ended up shooting a lot of of the women in kerrang was because he was a, he had a studio which a lot of people didn't have but also he was brilliant at putting you know men and women at their ease mm. and he was not um, as some other people were, I'm not looking across the desk at you here. Not, you know, at Kerrang! It was easy to get carried away with um, sort of rank and who gets this story, who gets that story. Ray was, I think, very much knew Ross was number yeah. one. Yeah. Ross got, because Ross generated. Well, Ross told him every day. Ross, <laughs> but Ross also generated a lot of his own stuff, as mm. you did. So if you got to America and you'd just seen Def Leppard, you know, then you would you'd be in the hotel and you would see David yeah. Lee Roth. I was, oh, David, what are you doing? Can we do? You know, so it generated itself. And so Ray was was not the guy doing that. Ray was the guy who had a studio in London, who would do stuff while Ross was away of bands that were in London, or we'd go off on trips. And it rather than getting Mick Wall and Ross, they'd get me and Ray, <laughs> or you know, someone else and Ray. Um, you know, for the slightly lesser bands or the second story of but the album. But he was the female but, photographer. Yeah, but he was the female. And I think that was because I saw him do this so many times. And he did it to me when I first arrived was he could just put you at your ease. He could make you feel comfortable. Mm, he was. He had that kind of very yeah, warm, charming, warm, charming He had a way. very feminine side. He did. He had, a, he had, he was almost like, if I was describing, and he used to wear sort of cheesecloth shirts and he was open very to the waist. skinny very and skinny, willowy. Tight jeans, yeah. cheesecloth shirt. He smelled of patchouli oil. He always, always. did, yeah. And, and you're right, the shirt behind yeah, to the belly So button. he was kind of like a sort of 70s, he looked like he just stepped out of um, what were those films with Robin Asquith? You know the uh, Man About the House. Or? No, no, no. Um, you know they were slightly saucy. <laughs> Confessions was it? Confessions of a Window Cleaner, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know that. <laughs> but <laughs> bit before yeah, my bit time, before John. Time. To be honest, but they kind of had these characters where they would be kind of like guys you would you would wish you could be you know oh, i wish i could because you just think oh, i wish i could be as charming as ray i wish i found it as easy as ray you know oh, to, do, you, do you know what though because I, I traveled with him a fair bit as well mm. and i found it exhausting i mean uh the the amount of tension attention he would lavish on any woman that walked in the room <laughs> i mean he called this is a, he would call men darling yeah 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 oh, and when yeah. a woman walked in it, it just he reminded me of swiss tony from the fast <laughs> show you know he'd be like yeah. you know you know taking a picture is rather yeah. like making love to a beautiful yeah. woman but i think yeah. that's just what ray liked was just he just liked being at the bar you know chatting holding you're not really holding court but you know I don't, that was just his women, women his, flocked uh, to him women though, loved they? it and they found him irresistible yeah and that's why he kind of you know and it, yeah, being a photographer as well, it was yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, Ross was a photographer, and yeah, but, women didn't flock <laughs> to him. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's the lady killer shot by Ross. Mm. You know, it would have just been a nightmare. Yeah, now he so, was he was much more comfortable shooting men naked in the yeah, toilet. Yeah, he was. He was yeah, in the shower. Yeah, 
yeah. The, what people don't know is that he would also be naked while he yeah. was taking those pictures. <laughs> Quite a shock uh, when I first saw it. But you wonder, I mean, I suppose my point about Ray was you wonder how much of that was, it became self-generating. You know, Ray would shoot, you know, a woman artist would come along, Ray would shoot them, he'd shoot them in Ray's particular way. And it kind of shoved you down this road that, you know, everyone was on. That yeah. was the way yeah. women were portrayed in Kerrang. It was, everyone went down that same route. And it was a bit, you know, but I suppose the bloke bands did it as well, you know, that everyone wanted to look like Motley Crue or Poison or whoever it was, you know. Well, were, I think that's, 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 that's life, isn't it? Yeah, it, it sort of became this received behaviour and you get bands like the Tattooed Love Boys, you know. And they were, they'd be like, wah, yeah, wah, 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 except it wasn't the Rainbow and no. the Sunset Marquee, it was the Columbia <laughs> and, the, you know, and the Marquee, the Intrepid Fox. You mm. know, it didn't have the same kind of glamour to it. It didn't have the same aura. But back to women. Back yes. to women, yes. John. The subject yes. the, of the podcast. Um, okay, The Great Cat. The Great Cat. Now, that was a conundrum to me because um, I wondered if she was insane... At the same time, she was clearly very talented. The Great Cat was this uh, uh, apparition almost, head-to-toe leather, yeah. really in-your-face, uh, a kind of an Yngwie-level Yeah, she guitarist. was a sort of guitar vo- virtuoso. Virtuoso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember in the era showing her videos and things like that. And it would really be almost almost scientific and arithmetic her solos yeah you know like these days you get like cannibal corpse and you hear it was kind of like that yeah it was slightly yeah. symphonic yeah it was and yeah she used to yeah she used to but, do but what was that s- well, and what, she called herself the great, the great cat, cat yeah. with a k yeah i still sometimes because obviously my email must have leaked over these get get emails about the great cat you do not i do from her pr who's called something like katherine thomas who it's not her disguised as a pr it is it's her she does her own pr under you're still in touch with the great cat i'm not in touch with her i get the emails yeah you're uh, you you get emails but you're not in touch well it's like no but they're all like watch the great cat's video of shred number three. she's still doing the same sort of music wow. but i just think again that kind of era of shredding guitar was pretty impenetrable anyway if mm. you were a bloke you know mm. it was the equivalent of i don't know it was ghettoized wasn't it it was satriani and steve Vai kind of made it out of the ghetto but the rest of them, it was all like very inward looking and. Yeah, I mean, Satriani and Vi, I mean, at least they had music that, so, that was brilliant. Of course, I know, I know this is about women, but I saw a video of Steve Vi the other day that someone put on Twitter, and he's had an operation on his right hand, so he can't use it. So he's doing this bloody guitar solo, one handed. Right. And it was just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, what a. No, that, that, that just man is. Sensational. Sensational. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, was he gifted. I mean, he yeah. was more beautiful than any woman I ever yeah. saw yeah. in those well, this days. Is, here's the other thing is, is, is you wonder how it felt as women as well to have some of those, you know, Brett Michaels, Steve Vai, 
who was the guy in Extreme who just looked incredibly... Nuno, Nuno Betancourt. Nuno, Dan Reed. Yeah. You know, all these guys yeah. who looked... I Can mean, you imagine being looking like Nuno and being called Nuno? Yeah. The amount of, oh, Nuno. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can I come over? Oh, hi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nuno, should we go out for a drive? Yeah. Oh, Nuno's not feeling so good. Yeah. Are you all yeah. right, Nuno? Yeah. That's exactly, exactly. Makes, so you makes me sick. Well, it was that thing of, like, <laughs> there's such little space for women in rock anyway, and then you've got that coming along. It's in the just, 90s, though, and we're not going to get into this now because we're, we're coming well, to... Well, we the, did say it was many parties. We'll go, we'll do some other... Some, I was, we'll was going to say, but come the we'll, 90s, there is this tremendous, and it comes with grunge, but part of that kicking against the, the pricks, as it were, that Nirvana and so forth heralded comes a whole wave of female-fronted bands or artists that aren't male. Were, were there? Well, I think Courtney Love and Hole were extraordinary. Yeah. Well, you can't L7. count them as two. Readers, <laughs> listeners. Readers. Whatever you are. Readers. Are you, are you listeners. He's counting on his fingers and he goes, Courtney Love and Hole. <laughs> As if that's no. two bands. L7. L7. Yeah, those were the two I thought. Because while we were having that conversation, I actually ba- thought... Babes in Toyland. I was actually thinking of that and, and thinking, was grunge better for women? I don't know if it was. Because it was so nihilistic and self-destructive and anti-everything that had come before. And very much my record collection is, you know, of punk 12-inch singles that you'd never have seen unless you lived in a record (laughs) shop for your entire life. It's almost more exclusionary than, you know, Mm. get your top off. I I think we will save that for another day, John, Okay, We will save the in-depth take on that. Well, I don't think it's going to be that in-depth because I don't know anything about it. (laughs) That hasn't stopped you before. (sighs) (sighs) All right, 80s. Rock. Who yeah. was the greatest female rock artist? I'll tell you, I think it was Hart. Are they in 80? I suppose they, they yeah, that was... I think it was Hart. I do. I do. In terms of, yeah. But I think if you're talking outside the heavy, are you talking about heavy metal? Rock and metal. Rock and metal, yeah. So you wouldn't count. I would say Kate Bush would, you know, was head and shoulders above any, but mm. male or female, I wouldn't yeah. even put her in that category. I mean, to me, she's right. All right, who who was best, um, Joan Jett or Lita Ford? To me, Lita. But I kind of get why people like Joan Jett. But Lita was, you know. I interviewed Joan Jett in 1984 when I Love Rock and Roll was a hit. Mm. She was opening for the Scorpions yeah. on a European I bet tour. She enjoyed that. And we were in Spain. Seeing the human pyramid every night. <laughs> oh, it was so funny, honestly. She, <laughs> yeah. she was opening for them. She'd done her set. And um, it's just some corridor, you know, her dressing room, yeah. their dressing yeah. room. And I'm um, all just standing around outside. She's done her set and we're just standing around chatting. And next thing it was, make way, yeah. make way for the scorpions. And you literally had to stand <laughs> flat against the wall like the police were coming, you know. Yeah. And here comes Klaus yeah. in a cloak, oh. followed by Rudy Schenker. Yeah. And they're all kind of as if they're going to a war. They're like fully focused. They're like, and they're like, they walk past you, you know, on the way. And you go, get out of the way, scorpions, make way, make way. And they go past and everybody just burst out laughing. <laughs> I interviewed her before the show, I assume. I don't know. But what I do remember is is that um, 
her manager's wife, who was also on the road, um, they were an older couple. Joan was still very young, and she lived at their house, and they kind of not adopted her, but they were mm. her family. And the mother figure, the wife of the manager, came in and sat in on the whole interview, knitting. And I couldn't understand. I kept saying, can we talk alone? And Joan was not having it. The, the woman was like, no, no, Joni prefers it if... But she sat there knitting the whole time. Yeah. And I just thought, this is not the way to get taken seriously. Mm. If, if you are a female-fronted band or a female artist, the way to get taken... By the bloke from Kerrang, you're on the Scorpions tour. You don't have an older woman coming in and knitting during your interview. Can you imagine if David Lee Roth bound in? Yeah. Dave, we're going to do. Yeah, I just need to bring in yeah. my mother figure who's going to knit in the corner. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't translate. Yeah. Whereas Lita, when I spent time with Lita, she kicked ass. She was funny, um, brilliant on stage. Uh, and as you say, very kind and charming and, yeah. and nice. But you do wonder. I mean, you do wonder. But fearless, you know. Yeah, yeah. You do wonder now how they all look back on that era and go, was it good, was it bad? You know, the compromises I had to make. Well, by the time you get to Vixen, I always thought Vixen looked horribly over... I don't mean overdressed, like not showing enough. No, flesh. but it was that but, poison era, wasn't it? I always think of them as like the female poison, just massive hair. Yeah, but so those ludicrous that, clothes. Yeah. They, look like, they look like the early Motley Crue clothes, yeah. which were all straps and yeah, studs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was just that thing. If they were like, let's make a female version of poison, mm. in my eyes, you know, that kind of very bubblegum metal as well. Yeah, but they weren't very good, were they? That was the thing. Edge of a Broken Heart was good. Oh, that's true. No, that uh, Edge of a Broken. That was a good song. How did it go? I've been living on the edge of a broken heart, something like that. I'll tell you who was good in the 80s, and they don't get the rep that they deserve because they end up having uh, very broad pop hits, was the Bangles. Yeah, 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 true. And wasn't it um, Sylvie Simmons? Her husband, uh, uh, Liam. Le yeah, wrote, Liam, Liam. Wrote Walk Like an Egyptian, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then Prince wrote um, Manic, Manic Monday. Mondays. Yes, he did, yeah, yeah. Okay, Right, we're going to return to the subject of women in rock at a future date. Oh, I hope you never say it like that again. <laughs> the great ladies <laughs> of metal. Glom. The gorgeous ladies of metal. Yes. And the rest. All right, thank you, thank you. Goodbye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you listen to it. To getcha some conversation online, follow us on Twitter at GetchaPod. Until next time. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.